Welcome to Robin Wesleyan Church Online. I'm so glad you're with us. My name's Brock. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a girl. My wife is pregnant, and we just found out it's a girl. So I'm really glad that you can celebrate with us. I'm really excited to be a dad. I've got five announcements for us here this morning as we get started. Number one, teen camp starts tomorrow. It's not too late to register. We've got a link just for you. So if you know a teen, let them come out to our day camp. It's going to be a great time. So much fun. Uh, We also have a youth and young adults podcast. You can search for anchor.fm slash discover life, or you can just search discover life RWC wherever you like to podcast. Uh, Announcement number three, we've got family camp August 14 to 22nd. It's going to be a lovely time at our campgrounds. I really hope to see you there. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, We also have four services. Uh, We have one 9 o'clock here in the building and 10.30 here in the building. And then up at the camp, also at 10.30, we have a youth service discussing the podcast and another young adult service at noon at the camp discussing the young adults podcast. So those are my announcements for us. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much, Pastor Brock, for leading us. Our hope is in Jesus, and I feel that today. And I trust that you're just joining with us to worship the Lord We need him so, so much in our life. Let me pray for us here at the very beginning. Can I do that? God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are our hope. Lord, we live in a world of shifting sand in many ways. We live with a lot of insecurity, but you are the rock in which we stand. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we just cast our praise. We cast our worship to you. Thank you, God. Be with us now and open up the word to us. Each person that's tuning in, logging in on their computers, wherever they are, bless them today. Just speak into their life. Change us. Mold us, God. May we just take a new step forward in this walk of faith with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great to be here with you. Uh, I'm Pastor Bert, and we're just sort of looking forward to continuing this Acts series that we're in right now it's been a uh, it could last a long time i don't know but it's like uh, i'm not getting very far in it but it's rich for us and we're feeling it and god was with us on sunday i sensed his presence and we covet that right now and i just sort of feel today as i begin i feel so inadequate to to bring the message today but i look forward to us learning and growing together so uh, remember what the bible says Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hunger and thirst. Let's hunger and thirst for the Lord together. Well, we're in in the book of Acts, finding yourself in the book of Acts. And so as believers, we ask the question, who are we really? What is this thing called the church? And how does it function? Uh, The book of Acts, it contains, if you will, it's like our DNA, What is DNA? It's the fundamental and distinctive characteristics or qualities of someone or something. Uh, Acts, we find out the beginning. It's our story. It's our history. It's our birth. It's in Acts that we find our mission to fulfill, and that is to proclaim Christ to the world. It's in Acts that we find our message to declare salvation through Jesus, our empowerment to fulfill the mission, his Holy Spirit, and our motivation, joy, 
and love, our motivation to serve the Lord. Acts is the story of the expansion of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, to the ends of the earth. I want to tell you a story. Uh, this week, uh, I thank Jordan for letting me put on those uh, virtual reality goggles. I tried them for the very first time. That was amazing. For those of you who have put those goggles on and suddenly uh, through the technology, you're in a completely uh, different world. Even though you're standing, I was standing out here in the lobby when, when Jordan came in and, and Austin and Brock. But I put the goggles on and and I'm able to start to see my avatar hands and I'm, I'm learning how to pick things up with them. And, and it's just a, an incredible world, that whole virtual reality world. Uh, but, it's, but it's not real. I mean, and that's, that's the point. It's, it's virtual. It's not the real world. I, I remember years ago uh, when, when Paul and Nancy were, Adam was playing a game and they said, Adam, it's not real. And he was so into it. He goes, it is real. No, it's not real, Adam. It's just, it's just a game. And I began to think that, you know, in this world, it's almost like the enemy. We have a spiritual enemy, you know. The Bible says we do. We see that we do. We see him at work. This spiritual enemy, it's like he wants to make us think that life is this way. Uh, we put the goggles on and it just seems like everything's candy coated. We live in a perfect world, but when the goggles come off, we're back in the same old world again. And he wants to make us think that we're in this world uh, surrounded by opportunities, creature comforts, and we're surrounded by blessings. Uh, so that we begin to believe that we are completely secure in those things. And then a storm comes along, right? And it sort of, it, it kicks the crutch out from underneath of it. It, it spoils our perfect world. It, it could be a money situation or a loss of a job. It could be the loss of health. It could be hurting relationships or, or broken relationships. It could be unrest in the world. There are so many things that have happened over these last 16, 17 months. Uh, Rick Warren, I was listening to the CR Summit this past week, and, and he was talking about people say, you know, about COVID, well, at least we're all in the same boat. And he made a comment, I thought it was insightful. We are not in the same boat. We, we've all been in the same storm, uh, but we're not in the same boat. I mean, there are some that have gone through this time of, of isolation and, and social distancing and some of the, the restrictions. And you've been in a situation where you haven't had any job loss. And we've been in a situation where maybe we're able to financially ride that out. And, and, and in some ways, there's been great blessings in it. Maybe we've had more time with our family. But there's other people who've gone through this storm. And they have had job loss or, or they have had some really hard restrictions that have been difficult for them. Uh, or there's been uh, all kinds of things that happen, right? So we may be in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. Our enemy wants to keep us spinning in a fiction world that cloaks the real. Because it's when we come to reality that we're ready to be healed. It's when we come and, and we get real. It's been hard for me in my life because I've grown up in the church sometimes to, to sometimes get real. I've lived 
not in front of a camera this last year, I suppose, but but in my life in a, in a public kind of way, uh, it's like you you live in a, in a world that can seem unreal. And God wants to bring us back to a reality to really see life exactly the way it is because he can work with that and he begins to change us in the midst of that. We oblige the enemy who wants to keep us in this fiction world. In fact, we do everything we can to prop up the fantasy of the security that we want so badly to have. Life is good. I'm my own person. I don't need anyone. And, and maybe quite frankly, whether we say it out loud or not, we say, I don't need God. I, I don't need God. We pump ourselves up. We, we're full of pleasures and trivial pursuits. Sometimes we can fill our lives with substitutes like the alcohol or the drug or the improper sex or these things can cover up the reality, but they only cover it for a while. And then we put our head on the pillow we come to a sobriety in our life, whatever it may be that we've just given ourselves to, like idols that we worship. And then something or somebody has to pop the bubble so that we see our real need. We need God. We need God. We need God. I need God. The Bible indicates that we will stand before him someday to give an account. That's what the Bible says. If you're tuning in, maybe you've heard that for the first time. It tells us we will give an account to God. The uh, beginning of spiritual freedom is facing reality. And it's not easy. It's not easy to face the truth of, of character flaws or sins that need to be confessed to God. It can be painful. This is what uh, God said to the church at Laodicea, one of the seven churches there that are uh, spoken to, that a message comes to them in the Revelation. This one's found in Revelation 3.17. He says to this church, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But that's what they saw themselves at as. But this is what he says he sees. This is what God sees. You see, God sees further, deeper than the surface, than the peripheral. He, he sees to the heart. And he says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. How could they be so blind? How could they be so deceived? But they were. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. God wants us to be truly free, not half free, completely free. To know who he is and to know who we are in relationship to him. Boy, we've hardly even got started here, but I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. And this is what it says. When we consider the unblushing promises offered in the Gospels from Christ, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says we are half, that is C.S. Lewis, he says, we are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink, sex, ambition, while infinite joy is being offered to us. He says, we are like peasants. We don't know 
We are like peasants playing with mud pie in a slum because we don't know what is meant by the offer to vacation at sea. And he ends with this great line, we are far too easily pleased. We're so easily pleased. God has something so, so much better for us. And I'm just calling us as a church, I'm calling myself as pastor to, to hunger and thirst for more and to have like a holy discontentment to say, God, we want to be all yours and we want to walk in and experience the fullness of life that comes from you and not the crumbs that the enemy wants us to enjoy. Okay, so this all brings us back to Acts. Um, last week, we saw the church. What was this early church? It was a church of prayer. Do you remember we talked about Jesus said to his disciples, go, and then he said, wait, wait in Jerusalem. And so uh, Acts chapter one, verse four, four, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised. That was the Holy Spirit that he was going to send to them. And so they stayed in the upper room. They stayed for 10 days. And what did they do? They prayed. Verse 14 of Acts 1, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They waited on the gift from God and God waited on them. You see, prayer changes us and it changed them and it prepared their hearts to receive the Holy Spirit. And so last week, what we saw is that the early church was a praying church. And so today, this is sort of where my mind and my heart has gone. I want us to discuss why were they a praying church? Okay, so they were a praying church. We're, we're to be a praying church, but why were they a praying church? What, what is it that, that motivated them? What is it that spurred them forward to be so urgent and focused and filled with gratitude in praying unto God? So why? did they pray? Um, 10 days they prayed, it says constantly. So it's interesting, they prayed till the Holy Spirit came, then the Holy Spirit came, and then they continued to pray because the Holy Spirit came. Acts 2.42, this is after the coming of God's Holy Spirit upon them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh, they are charged in chapter four uh, not to talk about Christ anymore. Do you remember that? Uh, I believe it was Peter and John. They, they, they ordered them, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And of course, the chief priests and the religious elite, they're getting jealous. And uh, they are the ones that crucified him, our, our Messiah. And what did they do? The first thing is they go back and they tell the disciples and they hold a prayer meeting. It's the first thing they do. They're told, don't do it. And they hold a prayer meeting. And there's a powerful move of God amongst them. And he emboldens them. Why did they pray? Let's look at this. Why did they pray? First of all, they loved Jesus. Relationship. They loved Jesus. Um, they were sad that he was going away. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, Peter to Jesus in Matthew 26, he said, even if all fall away on account of you, I'll never, I never will. I'll never leave you, Jesus. Um, he was their friend. Uh, John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, 
I have called you friends. In Mark 12, verse 30, we have the very core of, of the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second, of course, is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Uh, they loved him. They missed him. They longed for him. They had walked with him. And Jesus loved them. Uh, we see in John 13, we see the, that last supper, communion. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, it says, who were in the world, he now showed, showed them the full extent of his love. And in that supper meal afterwards, we see Jesus bending down and, and washing their feet, taking on that form of a servant. Do we love God? Do we love him who, who loved us and gave himself for us, for who he is and for what he has done? Uh, why did they pray? Because they loved Jesus. Second of all, they knew they needed Jesus. Humility. They knew they needed Jesus. This humility. Do you remember the song? If you do, hum or sing it along with me right where you are. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. They're weak, but we're strong. They knew they needed Jesus. So I have a question for us this, this morning. Who is eligible to go to Jesus? Who's eligible to go to Jesus? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Well, this tells us who's eligible. Come on to me, who? All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Who is that for? It's for those who need, who are weary, who are heavy laden. James 4, 6, it tells us there, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who prayed when Jesus passed by Jericho in Luke chapter 18? Was it the crowd? No, no, it wasn't. It was, a, it was a blind man. He was a beggar and he's sitting in the dirt on the side of the road as Jesus and the crowds pass by and he's the one who prayed. So let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So let me just pause. Jesus was passing by. And don't let this pass you by. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Jesus is going by. And it could be this morning. It could be whenever you're watching this, that Jesus is coming by in your life right now, that you sense the soft prompting of God's Holy Spirit and he is calling you and I believe he is calling all of us to something greater, 
to give us a new vision of eternity, to give us a new sense of understanding of our life in this world. Jesus is going by. Well, let's get back to our text. So Jesus was going by. And so what does he do? He calls out. He begins to pray, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, they didn't know that the beggar was praying, but he was calling out to God. We see the desperation. He knew he needed Jesus. Did those around him pray? No, they didn't. Let's keep going. Verse 39. Those who led the way rebuked him. Who? The blind man, the beggar. They rebuked him and told him to shut up. We don't say shut up. They said be quiet. But he shouted all the more. We see persistence in his praying. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he must have really shouted to be above the crowd. It may have been a short prayer, but it was an urgent prayer. It was incessant. It was to the point. And Jesus heard his prayer. Let's keep going. Verse 40, Jesus stopped. I love this. Jesus stopped. And he ordered the man to be brought to him. He's surrounded by people. He's surrounded by the crowds. Uh, why would he stop for one person? But he had called out to the Lord. And you, in the midst of the humanity, all the people in the world, are omnipotent, omniscient God. You can go to him. And so when he came near the beggar, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. He replied, and Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. When, when we pray, it spreads God's fame. They were making, that man made God famous with prayer. And so these early believers, they needed Jesus. And so how did they know that they needed Jesus? That's the next question that comes to my mind. They loved Jesus. They knew that they needed Jesus. How did they know that they needed Jesus? Well, in the presence of the divine, the smallness of our humanness is revealed. When we come into the presence of the Lord, we realize how small we are. We, we talked about this two weeks ago when, when Dr. Elliot was with us in our live services. Anyway, he talked about coming to the foot of Niagara Falls and how awe-inspiring that was and how small you feel. And when we come into the presence of God, we see our lack. We begin to see who we really are. I mean, after all, they begin to see Jesus. He taught with authority. Luke 4.32, they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one that had authority. When Peter comes in contact with Christ at the very beginning, what does he say? So the first, it's resistance that we see in Peter. Why? Because he saw himself. Go away from me, Lord, he said. I'm a sinful man. It's like the presence of Jesus. It exposed his sin. Isaiah in chapter 6 he says, woe to me. When he comes into the presence of God, he has this powerful vision, his powerful experience. And he said, I am ruined when he comes into the presence of God. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Um, when we come into the presence of God, we begin to see our lack and we begin to see who he is and the greatness of God. 
How did they know they needed Jesus? First, uh, they began to see themselves when they came in contact with him. Second of all, Jesus told them they needed him. He told them. So let's read it. John chapter 15, verse 5. This is a very humbling verse. I'm just going to say, you might as well turn it off right now. You're like, okay, it's been okay so far, Pastor Burr, but I don't, it's too hard. Listen, 15, 5, 15, 5, John. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That is a, that is a humbling verse right there. Our, our personalities, God-given, our talents from the Lord. If, we have, if you have health, if you have means, if you have something to give, something to offer, all that we have. And in the end, what does Jesus say? Real fruit, the real result, the eternal result. Apart from me, you cannot do it. I have, there's no way, there's nothing that I can do. I could, not, I could not be eloquent enough to change someone, but God can. He can touch you. You may say, well, I, it's too late for me. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. He touched Saul and he became Paul. He can touch us where he is, but it's not because of us. It's because of God at work. Bur prayer is birthed the moment we realize that we can't but he can. What was the difference? Okay, let's go to another place. What was the difference between the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda in the Bible and the rich young man or the rich young ruler, we sometimes call him, who came to Jesus and went away sad? Well, with that invalid, that, that crippled man, 38 years he sat by that pool and he had run out of all human options. He knew he knew that he needed Jesus. The rich young man, he still had something in his hand that he trusted. He had, it says, much wealth. Is it wrong to have wealth? No, I don't believe it is. But it's the love of money that becomes the root. And it says he went away sad. Why, why is it hard for the rich to pray? Where do you get that, Pastor Bert? Well, Matthew 19, 23, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for them because they've got something in their hand that can be a substitute. It can be virtual reality glasses. It can give a sense that we are surrounded and encompassed and secure when there is nothing in this world that is secure except this Messiah who died for us. Uh, they've already got something to pray to. Why do they need God? And riches can create the illusion of security. Health can create the illusion that we're good to go. Talents can create the illusion that we can do it on ourselves like those virtual reality goggles. Why couldn't the Pharisees pray? Why couldn't they pray? Uh, do you remember the Pharisee? He, he stood up there in that parable and he prayed to himself. That's what it says, Luke 18, 11. He, he prayed about himself. So I, I put here about himself to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Oh, that's my best impression right there. Jesus condemned the Pharisees 
self-righteous hypocrisy because it blinded them from seeing their need for repentance and a savior. We need God. And without him, we've got nothing. We don't have anything to offer. We can't be good enough. And oh boy, do we try. Oh boy, have I tried. But this morning, I just make the declaration, I need God. And I know that you do too. You ever try to teach someone something when they already know everything? You, you can't do it. We've got to let go. Sometimes we just have to wait till the child falls down. Sometimes we just have to wait till our child just finally gives up in complete exasperation before we can come in and swoop them up and help them because they won't be helped until they know they're helpless. Until we grasp the reality, without him, we can do nothing. We will not really pray. Okay, did you hear it? Until we grasp the reality that we can't really do anything without God, nothing of eternal significance. This is a different message than the world. I know it is, but hang, hang with me. We will never really truly pray because we don't really need them. We can do it on our own, or at least we think we can, and we live with the glasses on until we grasp that we really need God. We will become people of prayer when we get hungry enough for his results instead of our own results. We will become people of prayer when we get tired of our fruit and we want the fruit that comes from God. When we get tired of the crumbs and and see that we can enjoy banquets from heaven, then we will pray. I grew up singing this song. It's a, it's a hymn. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. That was the chorus of showers of blessing. Until we realize we don't have to live with the crumbs. God wants to do more, but it's him. It's him at work among us. So why did they pray? Let's keep moving. They loved Jesus. They knew they needed Jesus. And thirdly, they believed Jesus' words. They had faith. They had faith. Um, one of the uh, speakers at the Celebration Recovery Summit that I attended last week, uh, he got up and said, okay, how many people watch cable, cable news uh, every night? And he told them to stop it. But anyway, uh, the point here that I'm making is he said, how many think that everything you hear on the news is true? And there's some people, but lots of people didn't put up their hand. No, it's not. How many, how many think... Okay, we'll do it this morning. How many think that everything you read on the internet is true? Okay, how many believe that the word of God is true? And in the, in the room uh, where there was a few thousand people, all kinds of hands went up. I believe the word of God is true. And he said, then why do you spend so much time listening to the news and browsing the internet and not reading God's word? It's a good question. These early disciples, they believed Jesus' words. It was a faith issue. Prayer was a faith issue. Jesus said he would send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to give them power. And so what did they do? They waited and they prayed for, in expectation for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said he was coming back. He said, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. And so what did they do? They waited in expectation and they prayed. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. 
or, or many rooms, and he gave them just a peek, a glimpse of heaven. And so what did they do? They waited and they witnessed and they prepared and they told their neighbors and they prayed so that lots of people could go there. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, I consider that sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. He goes on to say, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. We live in a fallen world, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom. There's a world coming where there will be no more weeping, no more tears, no more decay, no more rust, no more thieves to break in and steal, no more shootings and killings, all of the junk of this world, no more COVID. They believed the best was yet to come. And so they prayed. They talked to the one in whom their hope was. The second last verse of Revelation. This is what, very second last verse. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He said he would come back again and we see the signs. And they lived with an awareness. They were in the world but not of the world. They lived with an awareness of Jesus coming. And so, okay, what do we got? They love Jesus. Why did they pray? They love Jesus. They knew they needed Jesus, humility. They believed Jesus' words, faith. And the fourth and final one, they knew that this life is temporary. Eternity. Eternity. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Okay, so okay, we're back here. We're centered now. We found our place. They knew that this life is temporary, that, that there's eternity ahead of us. He breathed in the breath of life. Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. They'll never pass away. Jesus says to Martha in John chapter 11, he says, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.18, So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Boy, is that upside down thinking from the way that we think. We talk about, well, I only believe what I can see, smell, touch, feel, with my senses. We talk about our senses and he says the things that are seen are temporary, but what is unseen, the spiritual realm, is eternal. This is exciting. Maybe this is hard for some, but it's exciting. Maybe there's some eureka things happening in your heart right now. Reach out to him. That's what we're talking about hunger. It's a hunger for something beyond the, the, the here and now. God wants to give us a vision for this. Prayer was their connection to the spiritual world, the real world. Prayer was their investment in the eternal. 
Prayer reinforced the reality of their treasure in heaven. Do not store up, right? Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They prayed because they loved Jesus relationship. They, they knew they needed Jesus. Humility. They believed Jesus' words, faith, and they knew that this life is temporary, eternity. So listen, we're coming to a close here. We need, we need to pray. We're called to, be, to, to pray. And so this, you know, has this all spoken to our head? We asked on Sunday in our live services that people would begin to this week, really just sort of pray and ask God, how do we become a, a praying church? Is there no praying, praying happening in our church? Of course not, there is, uh, there is. But, but to be a, a church where there's vital desperation, a longing, a love for God that drives us to our knees to spend time, that we recognize God in all that is and that he is so much more for us. You see, we're called to prayer. Our response to anxiety, it's prayer. If we're anxious, it says to pray. Our response to times of weakness, we're called to pray. Approach the throne of grace with confidence in our, to find mercy and help. In our, if we need wisdom, we pray. That's what it tells us in James. If you lack wisdom, pray. There's ministry to be done. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, they're few. You need God's results? Prayer. He's the vine. If we stay connected to him, we can bear fruit, but apart from him, we can do nothing. He is the source of life and wants to take us to a whole new frontier spiritually. In prayer, we confront our unbelief about who God is, and we confront our denial about who we are. And so I'm just calling us today, I'm calling me today to a, to a sort of get real. I'm saying, God, help me to, to get real. I see, I see my own weaknesses. I've had to confess my own sins to God. And whatever God is speaking to you about, would, would you open your heart and mind like David did who said, search me, O God. And we begin to see yourself. Do you, do you love God? Do you love God? Uh, do, do you need God? Uh, do you recognize your need for God? Have you come to that place where you recognize that you can't, but he can? How do you recognize that what is unseen is eternal? There's something so much more uh, than this world. May the Lord help us. And I'm going to pray for you right now. May God help us to, in our personal times, to, to seek him, to pray together. And may he help us as a church to know how to be a praying church as we call out to God because we believe. We believe his words and we stand on them. We pray the promises of God. There's lots more can be said, and we're going to say some more in the future. Lord willing, as we continue this series in Acts, we'll, we'll continue that in Acts next week. And I think, I think, I think we're going to be talking about 
another DNA element of this new church. We've talked about prayer. We've been sort of parked there. We're going to talk about joy. They had glad and sincere hearts. There was joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for us? When sometimes we're filled with sadness, what does it mean for us to walk in joy? So lots of good things to come. Let me pray for you. And Pastor Brock is going to just come and lead us in a few more songs of worship. So let's worship Jesus. Oh, God, we, we sigh in your presence because we just recognize how much we need you. Lord, we call out to you. You are God. You are able to do more than we could ever ask, think. Lord, it goes beyond our ability to understand how you work. Your ways are higher than our ways. Lord, there are things that we don't understand, but you understand. And so we give ourselves to you. We call out to you. God, help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to understand that we are weak, but you are strong. Help us to stand in your promises. Help us to recognize that what you said will be, and we can cooperate with you in prayer and remind us, God, that this world is not all there is, that there is a spiritual realm that is more real than the realm that we're in right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Continue to minister. We give you this series. Use it in our lives, God, to be hungry for you and for your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, into our lives. Hallelujah. Praise God.